Last week, I began a new series on transferring the glory. And the question that I posed is one that I know a number of our members have asked because they've asked me personally. And that is, Pastor, they've asked it out of a genuine place of concern for the future of this church. Pastor, when we relocate from this familiar and wonderful place that we all love, we change our name from Christian Tabernacle to something that is more relevant to the world that will be passing by on Belt 8 in front of us. We just want to ask you, are we going to leave anything here? Are we going to lose anything? Will we stop being who we are? Will we become something we don't want to be? Will we lose God's favor and blessing? Or will we be even more blessed than ever? And I've been asked that question a number of times. I'm turning to the book of Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 through 9. And reading this incredible passage of scripture. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Notice who it is talking. Once more. And in parentheses. It is a little while. Somebody say just a little while. When's your blessing coming? God said I will shake heaven and earth. The sea and dry land. Now turn to the person on the other side. And say revival's coming. Would you do that? God's not forgotten this world. And I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. I feel like that's the word that God has spoken regarding our new sanctuary. And then he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, meaning That when I smile upon a place that I release supernatural favor and blessings, it cannot be explained. Because this world belongs to me. You may own the title deed to your house, but you don't own the property that it's on. I can tell you this. The deed may say you do, but God owns it. And then he says, the glory of this latter house shall be, here's your answer, To the question, greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. I read this last week. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And everybody say this, where the Spirit of the Lord is. One more time, where the spirit of the Lord was, is, not was, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Father, I thank you for the incredible things that you're doing. We are like Israel. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. God, it's hard to be able to even express our gratitude and thankfulness for what you're doing and what you've brought us to. I thank you for these incredible and wonderful people of God that have so faithfully followed the vision and sacrificed to see your kingdom move forward. Now, God, I ask for your favor upon this service and your blessing. Speak to us this morning, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Because we're committed to making 
what we're about to do all about God and not about ourselves. A better question than asking if we will lose anything might be, is it possible that we're actually going to experience an even greater glory than we have experienced up till now? You see, I'm convinced that our greatest days are just ahead of us and just beginning. If you don't know anything about this church, this church is in its 68th, going into its 69th year of existence. Amen. You would think that a church that's been around that long has probably seen its best days because we live in a a time when things flourish and they blossom and very quickly disappear from the scene. I mean, look at technology, how rapidly it changes. Companies that were not able to be flexible don't even exist anymore, that were once powerful, or at least they're just a hollow shell of what they once were. Look at Atari, for example, where Stephen Jobs and got their, their start using Atari parts, built the very world's first personal computer and tried to sell it not sell it, I'm sorry, give it to a Tory company and said, we'll work here. You just build this thing. And they said, nah, not interested. Boy, did they go down in history as some of the biggest losers. And that company suffered. And look where Apple is today. You would think that with histories being so, as it were, meteoric, and then the plunge and the decline so rapid, You would think that maybe CT after 68, 69 years has seen its best days. Trust me when I tell you it hasn't. We haven't seen our best days. You see, with God, there's an altogether different component that is involved in this. God always serves the best wine last. Amen. No matter what you've experienced up till now, I can tell you with God, it gets sweeter as the days go by. Your future is better than your past. Can I hear somebody say amen? In fact, you ought to turn to your neighbor and say, I thank God for everything he's done for me up till now. But my future is better than my past. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not only that, I looked up on the television monitor and saw Victor as he was leading the service after the choir had finished worshiping and and the worship team and uh, had finished their responsibilities and Victor came up. And I thought, there is one of the faces of, of Christian Tabernacle slash Inspire Church. That will be prominent in our future. Young men, young women, America, wherever she is, that serves so faithfully. Amen. Vasti up here leading. I mean, some of the things we see taking place ensure in my mind, Andrew, when he preaches, that kid's amazing, that the future of Christian Tabernacle for the next generation is going to be greater than what we have experienced up to this moment. In the same way, in the very same way that this generation has exceeded the expectations of the last generation. And do you know what? They're happy for us that we surpassed what they thought we would be able to do. Here's a great truism in life. 
You can pretty much determine your future if you're willing to evaluate your past. You can choose for your life to be better than it is right now. Things don't have to remain the same. What is required is that you have the capacity to be honest in your assessment. Assessment. Examine your past and learn from it. And that might mean that you need to change some things you're doing right now. So you don't keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. You know what I'm talking about. Or you could even discover that you need to start doing some things that you haven't begun yet. And whether it's your personal history, church's history, a nation's history, or world's history. History serves us because it gives us the ability to assess where we have come from to where we are now. The word history is actually a fascinating word. It is the cognate of the words his and story. Amen. And by looking into the Bible, we actually see the history of God's relationship with mankind. And so we actually see in the word history, his story, meaning God's story, as he relates with us throughout the millennials. When you look at how God dealt with people, this is your takeaway. You watch the way God relates to people. You come away with this conclusion. God never changes. That's one of the beautiful things about God. He is faithful and can be depended on. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, the old song goes. It's been a long time since we sang that one. But God is faithful. And you know what that means to me and you? It means that if God has been faithful in situations and circumstances with his people in the past, he does not change. He will still be faithful to all of us as we step into our future. Amen. In looking at the way God dealt with mankind, I am particularly fascinated by the story of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. That's actually where Christian tabernacle got its name. Tabernacle meaning dwelling place. Only nobody out there knows what that means anymore. And inside the tabernacle of Moses was the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know the Ark of the Covenant is one of the most significant of all of the items We might call them religious relics that has ever existed in the history of the world. The ark is referred to or mentioned 185 times in the Old Testament alone and a number of times in the New Testament. That very fact means that God apparently feels it is of great importance that we as modern believers understand what it referred to and what it represented. Otherwise, he would have just left it out of the Bible if it only had significance to Israel. Here's the reason it was important. The Ark of the Covenant was the earthly symbol of the manifest presence of God. A study of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle gives you an opportunity to look into the spellbinding thoughts of God as to how his manifest presence could once again gain a foothold in an earth that had once belonged to him, but Adam had given away when he sinned. God had once been connected to mankind, but Adam made choices that cost all of us that we still deal with today in this very hour. Choices that Adam made to rebel against God, ignore God's word, and all of us who are Adam's children have suffered from it 
from that moment until now. But God in heaven was looking for a way to reconnect. And God said, if you will build this house and put in it the sacred items of furniture that I tell you to put in it, Moses, and you will build it the way that I instructed you, I will come. Listen to this in Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may, what? Dwell among them. That was God's intention. God wanted to dwell with humanity. God wasn't hiding his face saying, I don't bother me. God was saying, I'm looking for a way to reconnect. So God said, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, so shall you make it. And here is a picture of the tabernacle. And you look at it and there is that curtain around it. And, and then there's that small tent on one side of that rectangle. And there you see the pillar of fire that goes straight up into that cloud that was spread out over the nation of Israel. We always think the cloud was vertical like that pillar of fire was. It wasn't. It was vertical. It was spread over the nation. And everything under that cloud experienced supernatural blessings that you could not explain. There was a rock that followed them that flowed with water in the middle of the harshest desert, one of the very most severe places on the face of the planet. They get less than an inch of rain a year in the Saudi, um, uh, in 10 years, sorry, less than an inch of rain in 10 years in the Saudi Arabian desert, which is what the children of Israel were journeying through. Yet God provided water for three and a half million people Men are on the ground. Under that cloud, you would get out in the morning. There would be supernatural blessings and you would just pick them up. And, and I mean, your shoes didn't wear out and your clothes didn't get worn out either. And the enemy, he would, he would look at that and it was like there was a wall of fire around about Israel. And he said, I'm not going anywhere near that place because you see that cloud. That was a supernatural presence of God. And in the middle of the Saudi Arabian desert, where the temperature gets to 130 degrees during the summer, that cloud air-conditioned the desert by day, and that fire warmed it up by night. Long before somebody ever invented central heat and air, God already had it installed when his people were there. Amen. And I love that about God. You might wonder why an earthly dwelling place with an altar, a brazen laver, a golden candlestick, a table of showbread, and an altar of incense in the ark in the mercy seat, which was actually a separate piece of furniture according to Jewish rabbis, though it's set on the, the top of the ark. You might wonder why those things were necessary, and here is why. It is because when an abstraction becomes tangible, it becomes teachable. Intangibles are difficult to communicate in a way that people can readily understand. Concepts of redemption and the blood and sacrifice and, and baptism and, and holiness and, and, the, and all of the, the holiness of God. All of these things, forgiveness, they are so abstract that we can't grasp them until God makes them become tangible. Which is one reason that Christ came to earth in flesh, the intangible God. The unseeable God wrapped himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us. 
without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels and preached into the, in the world and was received back up into glory. Hallelujah. He became a God with skin on, a God you could see. And God told Moses, build these things so that my people can understand the tangible aspects of these intangible and important spiritual principles. When you entered into the courtyard, first item you encountered was the brazen laver, then uh, the altar, then the laver, and then you entered into the first room of the tabernacle, and that's that little rectangle off to the left that you see. And, and when you went in, on the right was the table of showbread, and on the left was the golden candlestick, and directly ahead was the altar of incense, and then there was the veil. And then behind the veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant with a mercy seat on top with the Shekinah of God dwelling between the angels. And you see, these things are incredibly prophetic. And that to give insight into the way that man was once again going to get back into the presence of God. Because you come by way of the altar. Hallelujah. You come by way of repentance. Where that animal died, there's something inside of you that's got to die. That fleshly nature has to be surrendered at the altar. You've got to lay yourself down and say, God, I don't want my life to be consumed by lust and by greed and by envy anymore. I don't. I don't. And at repentance, you then find your way to baptism, which is the labor. And that's when you begin your journey into the divine presence of God. And you walk in and the first thing you see is the table of showbread, which guides you into God's grace. And the golden candlestick, the fire of the Holy Spirit casting light upon the word of God. So that you receive not just a dead letter of the word. You receive a living word from God that burns in your spirit. And you make your way to that altar of incense, which is intercession and worship and prayer. And you begin to worship God. And you know what God does? The incense makes its way back through that veil into that little room where the Shekinah of God is at. The Ark of the Covenant is at. And it changes the atmosphere. When you worship, you change the atmosphere of heaven. You change the atmosphere in the throne room of God. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And that's when God pulls the veil back and says, I'm stepping down to visit with man. Because you see, that not only pictures the journey of man to God, it pictures the journey of God toward man. He had to come from his sacred dwelling place through the veil of the flesh of Jesus Christ. And he had to submit himself and his life as surrendered to God to ever give intercession for us. He became, as it were, the living word of God, the bread of heaven. He was the light of the world. Can somebody in the building say amen? He came down. Submitted to baptism at John's baptism. Notice the altar is not in front of the baptistry when you're coming out. That's because he had nothing to repent of. He was perfect. Can I hear somebody in the house say hallelujah? The lamb of God without sin that came to take away the sins of the world. Oh, bless his name. And to finally mount the altar of Calvary. To become the sacrifice for our sins. I wish I could sing. I would sing down from his glory. Everlasting story. Our God and Savior came. 
and Jesus was his name. Oh, hallelujah. He came to us because we could not get to him. Hallelujah. The exact reverse order in which we were to approach God. Amen. God's presence moved from the ark because he wanted to connect with mankind. You see, the tabernacle was built to house the presence of God. Exodus 25 and 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And this is what God said regarding the purpose of the ark. In Exodus 25 and 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Is there anybody in this building that ever needed a word from above? Anybody in a situation where you needed to hear a word from heaven? Let me tell you about Christian Tabernacle. I can tell you one reason that Inspired Church is going to experience greater glory. We will never allow canned sermons. We're not going to do away with worship. We will not stop seeking God. When we get to that next place, we're going to pursue what matters to us right now. I need somebody in the building to say yes. We're not going through motions. No, we're not. We're not going to give up anything that matters to us. The ark itself was a box two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits deep. That's 52 inches by 31 inches wide and 31 inches deep. And it was made of acacia wood overlaid inside and out with gold. And there you see a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And there's the mercy seat that was the lid that was a separate component set on top. And the ark was completely covered inside and out with gold. It was very valuable. And I want you to know that you have to sacrifice something just like Israel did to have the presence of God in your life. God didn't say, God didn't say, bring me your brass. He said, bring me your gold to make the ark of the covenant. Hallelujah. It represents Christ. It represents God. It represents our worship. Your worship determines the value you have placed upon God. I'm going to talk more about that next Sunday. The ark was costly. Amen. In so doing, they foreshadowed the price of redemption that was also a cost that men could never have paid. Redemption means to be bought by the payment of a ransom. It's not free. Freedom is not free. Your redemption is not free. It didn't cost you a dime, but it cost him everything. It bankrupted heaven that you could receive and that I could receive. Hallelujah. For God to once again have a relationship with us, he had to pay the ransom demanded by the enemy. And here's what's important about that box. Acacia wood. That's a thorn tree. Show, uh, a thorn tree. Show, there it is. I see those every single week in Africa. They're, they're thorn trees. And there are the thorns that grow on them. And when we talk about thorns on the brow of Christ, you need to realize we're not talking about blackberry thorns that are about an eighth of an inch long. We're talking about these that are an inch and a half. That's what they made the crown of thorns out of. 
God said, I want you to take the wood of this thorn tree, build my ark out of it, and cover it inside and out. You know why? Because the wood represents fallen humanity, but the deity is represented by the gold. Hallelujah. God said, I want to show you what it's like when you get God on the inside and you have God on the outside. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. That's why they never could understand who Jesus really was. They would say he's Mary's baby and then he'd walk on the waves. As, as wood, he was born in a stable. But as gold, he mastered the elements of the universe. Hello. Hallelujah. As wood, he would get tired and he would say, I'm going to sleep. And he would lay down in the bow of the boat. But as gold, he would stand up and say, peace be still. And the storm would stop. As wood, he would get hungry. But as gold, he would say, bring me the fishes and loaves. And he would feed 5,000. You need to know who this is that that you're serving today. He's an amazing God. The gold also speaks of what Paul refers to later. And the wood together speak of what Paul refers to as the severity and the goodness of God. It speaks of his holiness and his judgment. The ark was literally a tangible demonstration of how God's presence in your life can turn the worst of circumstances and situations and even a curse into an incredible blessing and victory so great that you can't comprehend it. I want you to know when you have God's presence in your life, God can make some stuff happen you can't figure out. You don't even need to try. Oh, hallelujah. How'd that cancer disappear? I don't know. He does. I don't. I just give him the praise. How did you get that job? I don't know. He gave it to me. How did you get to where you are? Can't explain it. I'm not even going to try because I've got God smiling on me. God's presence is in my life. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. God smiles on you and gives you favor. He causes you to be blessed in such a way that there is no logical explanation that can explain it. You can't explain why for 40 years Israel's clothes did not wear out or how Moses fed three and a half million people in that harsh desert and gave them enough water to drink to keep them alive. There's no way you can do it. It's an impossible task. Don't even try. And when the presence of God is with you, the impossible becomes possible and the unimaginable becomes reality when God is with you dreams become fulfilled hallelujah that's where Christian Tabernacle Inspired Church is at right now our dream is being fulfilled hallelujah to the lamb gold covering thornwood Brings me all the way back to the garden. One of the most interesting things that I've ever studied in the Bible is how God's relationship with man began in a garden and was broken. And then in the last chapter of the book of the Bible, God is reunited with man in a garden. And in between the first and the last, there's the garden of Gethsemane. It blows my mind. So much of our history as man takes place in a garden. Amen. In the first garden with Adam's sin... The ground was cursed because of his sin. God didn't curse the ground. The ground was cursed because of what Adam did. Amen. Our actions and decisions are what bring pain into our life. Not the, I'm going to get even with you kind of God that we've been taught exists in heaven. 
Amen. I'm going to show you what I mean by that in just a minute, by that mercy seat that I was talking about. And you know what God said? Take acacia wood. He was very specific. Take the thorn wood, not oak. I don't want pine. I don't want maple. I don't want cedar. I want you to take the tree of thorns and I want you to take its wood and build my ark and overlay it with gold. Why? Because when Adam sinned, the ground was cursed because of his sin and brought forth thorns. Prior to that time, they had continual harvest all year long in the garden. There was no such thing as a season of harvest. From the moment that the ground was cursed by Adam's actions, there was supposed to be no harvest, but God's mercy stepped in. And God said, as an accommodation of grace, I'm going to give you one season of harvest a year. And from that time till now, the earth has lived with one harvest a year. But when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 22, in verse 2, you will find in the last chapter of the Bible, look at this, in the middle of the street of that, of that city, and on either side there is a river, uh, on either side of the river, rather, was the tree of life, and it's going to bear 12 fruit, each tree yielding its fruit. What did it say? Every month. Continual harvest is going to be restored and the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. What happened when they overlaid thorn wood with gold? God is saying the gold representing deity. That when the gold touches the thorns, the curse is removed. And, and you need to realize that when we move to that new building... Some of you are going to experience a shift in the atmosphere over your life. God told me we're the last seven weeks of this month, we are, or this year, we are in seven weeks of breakthrough. I don't know who needs a breakthrough, but I'm telling you, there's a shift in the atmosphere because we are getting ready to move into our destiny. The gold has touched the thorns. Can somebody praise him right now? Woo. I'm doing some pastoring right now. And I, I feel my anointing kicking in. Somebody's going to have gold where there's thorns and somebody's thorny marriage is getting ready to get blessed and somebody's thorny finances are getting ready to get blessed and somebody's thorny health getting ready to get touched by gold. God had Moses place three items of great significance into the ark. The first was the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. The second was Aaron's rod that budded. And the third was the golden pot filled with manna. The Ten Commandments represent God's divine law and principles. When you align yourself with Him, incredible things happen in your life. Aaron's rod represented spiritual authority. The pot filled with manna represented supernatural provision. When you're living aligned with God, you experience spiritual authority over every work of the enemy and supernatural provisions begin springing out of the ground all around you and you don't even know where mm, opportunities begin to happen. Tony, that's what I'm talking about. What you were talking about yesterday, it begins to happen in people's lives. And next thing you know, you're at another level than where you used to be. In the ark, God had these things placed. And he said, you know what? 
this ark is also going to be called the ark of testimony. <laughs> Woo! I'm having too much fun up here. The law doesn't allow this kind of fun to take place. I know. Amen. The ark of testimony. You notice what the word testimony means? It means witness. You cannot be a witness to something that has not happened. You can go to court and talk about, I think he was getting ready to do that, but that don't matter. The law wants to know, what did you see? That's not called the ark of what I think is getting ready to happen. It's called the ark of the testimony, the ark of the witness, what we've already seen God do. They had been brought through the wilderness. Is there anybody here? I don't know what your wilderness may have been, but as God brought you out of anything, you were not supposed to have survived. You've got a testimony that nobody else has. Is there anybody in this building today that God healed you when the doctor gave up on you? Fixed your marriage when it was in the middle of a divorce? God was saying to Israel, you know why it's called the Ark of the Testimony? Because testimony has the word test in it. When you test God, he does not let you down. Prove me now and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. The lid on top of the ark was called the mercy seat and it had two cherubim of gold on either side with their wings outstretched to one another. God said, it's from between those cherubims that I will speak to you. And literally the Shekinah glory of God hovered between the wings of those those cherubims, cherubims were mighty angels of war. Mighty angels. It didn't take a dozen of them to fix a problem either. At the end of time, the Bible says one of those guys is going to come and he's going to take the devil by the scruff of the neck, move the manhole cover off hell, and slam dunk the devil down into hell. It's not even going to take a whole team, just one of them. That's all. Just one. Just one. Just one. Just one. Do you hear what I'm talking about? Just one. But when you got God in your life, you've got two of them side by side watching over you. Oh, can somebody in the building give him praise? God always prefers to speak from a place of mercy and not judgment. Amen. Always. He said, I'll speak from between these cherubims. Over the back of the mercy seat. And God instructed Moses, you place the ark in the tabernacle and I'm done. That he commanded Moses to build. The tabernacle had two rooms and was surrounded by the outer court. And the ark was to be kept inside the innermost room, which is the holiest of holies. And the cloud of God's presence hovered over that place. And when the glory of God would lift from that tabernacle, they knew God was on the move. And they packed up their things, and the husband said, Mama, get Junior's extra set pair of shoes over there, and don't forget the pot, and I'm going to get the kids' clothes, and we're going to get our donkey, and we're going to move out of here. We're packing up the tent because God's moving, and I don't want to be where God used to be. I want to be where God is right now. I want to be where God is. The Ark of the Covenant was so powerful that when Israel went into battle, 
They would put it on the shoulders of the priest holding those two rods that you see. And they would walk into battle. And the moment Israel saw it, before the battle had ever been fought, they would go to shouting. Because when you have God in your life, you already know how it's going to turn out. You don't have to wait till the battle's won. Shout right now. That's what God told Jehoshaphat. Shout right now. Worship right now. I'm talking to somebody in the room in this building that's going through a test. Shout right now. Give him some praise right now. Somebody's coming out. You don't wait, you shout now. You don't wait till you get that job, you shout right now. You don't wait till you get a miracle, you shout right now. Hallelujah. 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 When the ark came into the promised land, and you may be seated, and after the conquest of the Canaanites, it settled for a while at Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. May God's presence always abide in his house. I don't want us to be one of those churches that talks about former glory. Uh, I'm looking for greater glory. The greater of this house, the glory of this house shall be greater than the glory that preceded it. The glory of the latter house will exceed it. And then it moved to Shiloh. And Shiloh means serenity or tranquility. And when you have God in your life and you're in church the way you're supposed to be, you know what happens? You find serenity in your life. Are you tired of the hell going on in your world right now? Are you fed up with a war and the the constant? Get God in your life. Get God in your life. He'll give you peace in the middle of a storm. You'll do what Jesus did. You'll lay down and go to sleep with the wind howling around you. Because you know how it's going to turn out. If God's with you, who can be against you? No weapon formed against you can prosper. But then Israel began to lose their devotion. They stopped praying. They stopped worshiping. They stopped going to church. They stopped tithing. They stopped giving God glory. And the moment you let a door open, the enemy creeps in. And he'll try to steal your kids. He'll try to, try to steal your health. He'll try to steal your finances, your marriage. He'll take anything he can pick up and carry off. He's a thief. That's what he does. You ask, oh, I didn't know this would happen. Why not? He's a thief. That's what he does. I didn't know it would be like, why not? He's a thief. That's what he does. By definition, that's what he does. And they found themselves in war with the Philistines, and this is where I close. And somebody, and they were losing. Strangely, they were losing. And somebody said, I have an idea. Let's go get the ark and bring it to Ebenezer where the battle is being fought. And it will certainly turn the tide of the battle just like it always has. And again, the problem was is that they had not been serving God for years or going to church. 
And without any repentance or remorse for their backslidden condition, they brought the ark onto the battlefield like it was their lucky rabbit's foot, their talisman. Did it ever occur to you a lucky rabbit's foot wasn't so lucky for the rabbit? Amen. Seriously speaking. They brought God in the box out on the battlefield, and it didn't work. And here's what is amazing. Because they had every time won the victory and had gotten into the habit of shouting before the battle ever started. They brought the ark out. They trotted it out. And here comes God in the box and everybody shouts. And then they lose the battle. Let me tell you as we get ready to relocate. You experience breakthrough by worshiping God and trusting in him. By praying and fasting and by honoring the principle of his word in your life. Don't stop fighting. The battle is not over yet. You're not home yet. As long as you're in this world, there's an enemy trying to steal from you. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. If you've lost your devotion, go back to that Ark of the Covenant. The reason that there are two angels on top is number one, they preserved and kept open the road to mercy. Mighty angels on either side say, come unto him because mercy is waiting. And whenever you have a need, run, run to the mercy seat because there is a God that's waiting to hear from you. He can save from the uttermost to the guttermost. There is a God who can deliver you. I'm talking to people right now that need deliverance in this very room. But that's not the only reason those angels were there. God's mercy is so hungry. He desires so much to help that he's got to have cherubim on either side to get a hold of mercy and say, no, no, God, they hadn't repented. Lest he forgive people who hadn't even tried to do right and start blessing those that aren't even doing the right thing. And when they brought the ark onto the battlefield that day, the cherubims grabbed hold of the mercy of God and said, God, they're shouting, but they don't have the devotion to back it up. And the reason I know that this church is moving into a greater glory is we're not gonna ever find ourselves in that situation. Not under my watch as your pastor, not under the watch of the next generation. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? This church will continue to be known for the presence of God and for the glory of God and for worshiping God. We will never change that. This church will continue to be known as a place to receive a word from above. Amen. We will continue to be known as a place where the supernatural happens when you walk in the door. Would you stand with me right now? And how do I know that God is going with us when we relocate? Psalms 22 and verse 3. Read it out loud with me. You are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Enthroned where? In brick and mortar? In the praises. I need somebody to say in the praises. In the praises. Oh yes, in the praises. There are seven Hebrew words used for praise. In the Old Testament. And the word that David uses here is Tehillah. The seven Hebrew words are bow, kneel, clap your hands, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 
There are seven Hebrew words that are used for praise. I believe that they represent a progression of praise moving into worship. Because the last one is tehillah, which means to sing. And I don't really think it means what we think it means. We always think it means we're going to come to church and sing to God. That's a part of worship. That's, that's using our voice. But there is a place in worship where God begins to sing to you. In Zephaniah 3 and 17, the Lord your God in your midst. Say it, the Lord our God in our midst. Where's God at? In our midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Someday I'm going to preach a sermon on when God sings. Because when God goes to sing it over you, the atmosphere changes. Woo! Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Have you noticed how a song can set an atmosphere? A song can change an atmosphere. God said, I'm going to sing over you. And when I do, I'm going to change the atmosphere. You feel that? It's happening in this room right now. The presence of God is settling over this building. It refers to that place in worship where you go beyond clapping your hands beyond shouting beyond kneeling beyond bowing it goes beyond those things and it describes that point where you enter into worship it's what the song of solomon describes when he describes the prince singing to his beloved and the beloved singing to the prince when a church gets to singing to god and god gets to singing back to the church oh my The enemy starts looking for a window to jump out of because he can't stand it. And if you want God's presence in your life, praise him until you enter into worship. I'm telling you what to do in your own personal devotional time. Then worship him until his glory comes. And he will begin to sing to you. And when that happens, stand in his glory and watch what God will do. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. Can somebody praise him right now? I'd like to close this service at the altar. Would you come join me? You reign, Lord. You reign in glory. You reign in power. You reign in majesty. You reign over every circumstance and every situation we will ever encounter. You reign over the problems I'm having in my marriage. You reign over the problems I'm having in my own life. You reign over the struggles my kids are having. You are Lord of all. Sing to me, God. Sing to me. Sing to me and change the atmosphere in my life. Would you come closer? People are behind you, making their way to the front. If you don't know God, don't you live without God's presence in your life. Don't you do it.
that diagram that I showed you of the Ark of the Covenant and it begins at the brazen altar and then the labor. We, we got an altar right here, right now. You can tell God, God forgive me of my sins. We got a baptismal tank right behind this screen right there. We'll baptize you this morning. Yes, we will for the remission of your sins. And you can march right on and begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit and let God illuminate his word and move right into intercession and worship. And the next thing you know, God from behind the veil is singing to you. God is singing to you. Father, I pray right now because we are in seven weeks of breakthrough. Father, I pray for breakthrough in every family, every life. I pray for a new level of spirituality and authority. I pray for your release in every person's life, a release of anointing, a release of the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit come down. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit come down. Somebody give him some praise right now. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit consume the sacrifice. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit get on every heart and every life. Let the fire of God burn in us. Burn in us. How many need a breakthrough? Can I see your hand? How many people need a breakthrough? I mean, honestly, need a breakthrough. Don't raise your hand just to raise it. You need a breakthrough. You need the God that I'm talking about to come from behind the veil. I want you to hold the hand of the person next to you. We're going to pray for one another if you would. Prayer counselors are here to pray with you. Father, I pray for breakthroughs in families right now. Relationships. I pray for breakthroughs in relationships. I don't know why, but I feel it again. There's some a family in this building that's trying to have a child. And God, you're moving right now to make possible what has not been possible up to this point. In the name of Jesus. I also feel in the name of Jesus that somebody has struggled with a door they opened in their life and they're dealing with issues and they would like to close it but they're powerless to do so in the name of Jesus slam that door shut right now in the name of Jesus slam it shut slam it shut slam it shut slam it shut for some family that's in this building that's struggling with poverty The gold is touching the thorns right now. I'm praying for the release of finances and prosperity. Praying for it in the name of Jesus. Breakthroughs. Somebody else is praying for a door to be opened. And God, I'm asking you to open that door supernaturally right now. I tell you what else I feel, folks. There's such a move of God in this building right now. There's some of you that up till this moment, you have not had the spiritual authority to address some of the issues you're dealing with in your life. 
You are receiving authority right now. Spiritual authority. You command the devil to get his hands off your family. You command him to let you alone. You command favor and blessings. 